Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. My father used to say there should be a bit, and excuse the French, there should be a big sign, Richard, on every golf course you ever play. And you've got to walk under on the way out onto the fairway after you've hit off. And it should say... Perfectionists piss off and let all us enthusiasts two, enjoy ourselves. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo golf course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden buzz in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, drivers recommended. Oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> oh, my. Golf. G'day and welcome. This is Golf. Andrew Dado is my name, professional golfing enthusiast, and it's great to have your company. Today, Richard Mercer. The pro from The Hunter. Now, normally you'd expect to hear Paul Gow and J. Rod Frickberg, uh, the three of us together. Well, those fellas have moved along to their next project, which is the television show. This time, the sun, the moon, and the sky and everything did not align. So I wish them the very best with their endeavor. I'm sure it'll go terrifically well. But I'm here with Golf, the podcast. And the idea is pretty straightforward. We're going to keep talking about the game that we all love and adore. And with Richard Mercer today, he is the head pro at the Vintage in the Hunter Valley, and he's just terrific. It was so good to see him. He's such a lovely bloke with fantastic stories and a really good, interesting view of the game. He's a little bit old-fashioned, but he's not afraid of learning new things, which you'll find out about. Now, when we met, and I have known Richard for some time, when we met this time, we went into his teaching office. Um, He's got clubs and stuff there. It's great. And he's just grabbed me by the left elbow and done a big U-turn and points to me, uh, points me in the direction of this beautiful photograph on the wall of a bunch of old golfers. And that's where our conversation began. Where it went was really I mean, I was surprised. I was thrilled and genuinely surprised by the stuff he had to share, the stories he had to tell, and his his vision of the game and, and where it's at and what we need to remember. More than anything, what we really need to remember as we keep playing. So this is Richard Mercer on golf with me, Andrew Datto. If you like the show, give us a rating, give us some stars. Good stuff. I hope you enjoy it.
have a look at this, AD. We've got Peter Thompson on the right, my dad, Bruce Devlin, Bob Charles, British Open winner, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player. That's not a bad photo, is it? Where are you? Oh, I'm not, oh well, that's a few <laughs> years. Before. I was a little nipper back then, mate. So, but, uh, so your 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 pedigree, your golfing pedigree, is obviously quite strong. Very, very strong. My dad was uh, chairman of the of the New South Wales PGA and Australian PGA, and uh, that photo there was taken at the uh, the old Australian Golf Club before it was burnt down. Um, so, yeah, my, my uncle Alec obviously uh, taught the New South Wales and Australian, Australian squad, uh, Steve Elkington, all those sort of business people. Um, and your I, dad, he was a... Kalara for 46 years. Yeah. I did my, my apprenticeship under... Uh, and under, your dad, yeah. how was that? Oh, it was brilliant. I've never, I'd never had a bad, never had a crossword with that. Yeah. He was an amazing man. I mean, he had one of those incredible... Um, that incredible ability to be able to diffuse, you know, I'd think I'm going to have an argument with my father here, and he'd diffuse it like that, and uh, so it was amazing. He is, uh, he was, he was an enigma. He was a wonderful player as well. I'll show you this as well. I was cleaning it, cleaning up his garage, and uh, and I heard something rattling down the inside of the cupboard. And inside of the drawer, and I was just about to t- tip it all into the garbage bin, and it was his player's badge from when he played in the British Open at Troon. So he played the British Open? Troon, yeah. You played the British in Open? In 84 at St Andrews. So, so this was at Troon uh, 10 years before. Yeah. So 10 years before you played the British Open, your father played, played the British, the British Open? At, yeah, so he played at Troon. He was playing behind... Um, uh, now I can't think of his name now, but he who had the hole in one on uh, uh, on the little postage stamp hole at Troon, and Dad was playing right behind him. So uh, and I can't think of his name. And, and how did your Dad go at Troon? He he didn't do any good. Like I didn't do any good. Uh, we were well, great. How 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 not any good did he not do? Uh, seventy. I think he had seventy eight, seventy two, yeah. and I had eighty one, seventy two. <laughs> Around St Andrews, but <laughs> but but we got into the tournament, both of us, and that's the main thing. And and funny enough, I asked him years later. I said to him, "What, you know, what did you feel? Talk me through it." He said, "I can't remember playing the first seven or eight holes." And I said, "Well, I can't remember playing the first ten. Right. I was that, you know, that g'd up. And on the on the first day, I was off at like four ten in the afternoon, and I wake up at six thirty nervous, and so." I, uh, yeah. I I went out the course, came went back home, came back out. Finally, uh, finally, I'm putting my shoes on in the in the in the locker room, and Lee Trevino comes in and he sits down, and uh, and he looks at me and I'm fidgeting with my with my shoes trying to do my laces up, and he said, uh, "G'day, young man." I said, "G'day, Mr. Trevino," and he said, "Is this your first open?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, matter of fact, it is." And he said, "Well, there's only two people who knew how." I felt when I played my first British Open, I said, yeah, who was that, Lee? And he said, me and the laundry man. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so I'll never forget it, but uh, he was a funny man, that Trevino. I remember I was playing a tournament at, uh, at uh, the Lakes and I'm next to him and he's doing like a clinic and I was hitting balls and, uh, and he, this bloke yelled out from the crowd, how do I get another 20 yards out of my drive, Lee? And he turned around and he looked at the bloke and he said, that, that's easy, son. He said, you hit it and run back 20. <laughs> So, so you see some characters around the place. Um, when you're talking about your dad and you both playing and having not, not great 
results. Yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't laughing at. I was laughing at the thought of, did you g each other up afterwards? Like, did you when he played? Obviously, when he played badly, well, you you would have said nothing. It's your father. Yeah, that's right. Right, but well, he did, used what did to he give say? it to me. <laughs> yeah, right. But it was that, we, we used to play tournaments, and and I'd be walking together. Back. Yeah, often, often I, we played the Australian PGA a couple of times at. Uh, at Royal Melbourne, uh, we played uh, tournaments in Queensland and everywhere together. And uh, I'd be going down one fair and he'd be coming at the other, and I'd, he'd look over at me and I'd indicate whether I'm un- under or over. <laughs> yeah. By yeah. either two fingers up is two over, or one yeah. finger is one under, or whatever. So uh, I'd he'd, he'd look over at me and I'd go two under, and up would go the thumb. <laughs> see, so because I'd be beating him, but. If the next day I'd be saying, how, how are you going? And he'd go, two under. And I'd go, I'm three over. And he'd go, you beauty. <laughs> so he was happy to knock oh, you off. Oh, yeah, he, oh, he hated it. He hated it. But uh, it was wonderful. I, I tell the story often, and I don't know, a lot of people realise that there were seven boys and a girl in Dad's family and they lived near Northride Golf Club and they used to walk across Northride to, Golf Course to the, to the um, uh, public school. And when the youngest was 16, out of the seven boys and a girl, the girl didn't play, but out of the seven boys, two of them had polio. When the youngest was 16, the highest handicap was four. With polio? And with the two of them had polio were the highest handicappers. Right. So, you know, my uncle Kevin, um, he, was, he ran PGF Golf, which is, it was yeah. Australian sales manager of PGF. Um, I had a Uncle Ivan who did got into the uh, golf bags and all that sort of business. And uh, Uncle Jimmy um, on the North Coast was one one of the best amateur golfers in Australia. He won he won the North Coast Open champion against against all the pros. He won, he won I think eight or ten times club champion at Wyong. Uh, so it was a good pedigree. You asked earlier about yeah. the pedigree, and you know I remember looking at my dad. Uh, growing up thinking, I want to be like him. Mm. And when I had the opportunity to do my apprenticeship and, and he tried to talk me out of it, he said, mate, you know, it's pretty hard going. I said, no, no, I want to do it. And I got the love for teaching through watching him and and it just, the, my life sort of evolved around that. So it's there, there's obviously a point when you went from thinking, I'll be a, I'm going to be a great player mm-hmm. to I'll become... I mean, and look, you're still one of the top 50 coaches in the country. So so there must have... Was there a point where you had to go, nah? Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a point because it happened. Well, well so, it happened. And, and it happened with me because uh, it was hereditary. It was called the Mercer Curse. My uncle Alec got it. My cousin Jimmy, who was a pro, got it. Uh, Jimmy Jr., and Dad got it something fearful, and it was called the it was called the uh, Mercer Curse because on the putting green, you you couldn't keep the hand still. You know, you you three putt left, right, and centre, and it's called the yips. And uh, um, I remember I went <laughs> I, to. I think I like the Mercer Curse better than the yips. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah, you call it the Mercer Curse now, not the not the yips. But I remember I went to Japan to play a tournament, and I hit the first round I, I hit 17 fairways and and about 16, 16 greens and I walked off with 74 and the, I did the same the next day and I was just painful to watch how many three putts I was having left right and center and I was in the plane coming home from Japan and I and I saw a thing about Sam Torrance with a long putter off the chin and I went 
that'll do me. So it kept me in the game for a bit longer, but now it's so hard because they've, you know, stopped the anchoring rule. But uh, I, I go cross-handed, so, side-handed. Okay, so 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 just explain what it's actually. I've, I I think I'm the only other person I've spoken to who was openly just no, it's, no, they didn't even yes. openly discuss it. Well, I was going to say uh, Brett Ogle, but I remember saying to yeah. him, "What is it? What was it like? Was this your fragile distance?" And he looked at me like I'd just eaten his first, second, and third borns, <laughs> and that, that was the end of the discussion. It was terrible because I thought that was such a long time ago. Maybe he could. Yeah. He was happy to share that thing. Well, so, luckily, I get a lot of people who come to me with them. Mm. Uh, it's usually when there's a dominant right hand, and the right hand comes into the hitting area zone, and through nerves, and the right hand takes over, and it's and the right hand actually twitches as you're hitting it. It's the most disgusting thing, Andrew, you have ever seen. And you can... I, I, I actually got it on the long putts, not the short putts. Get me a, get me a five-footer or inside 10 feet and I could roll it like a beauty, but get me on a 30 or 40-footer, for some unknown reason, my right hand would just zip at the ball and I could miss the hole by 10 feet, right. left and right. So, so you'd have 30 feet and then 20 feet... <laughs> <laughs> and then I do a half. It's not even funny. Like, <laughs> it's not it's, funny. <laughs> it's not funny, but, you know, I, you learn to live with it. And my dad had it really bad, and he became a great putter at the end of his life. Uh, you know, he could, he could, it was just amazing how good he could chip and putt at the end of his life. But I suppose, you know, you have to when you lose your distance and, yeah. you know. But he was, he, he could still shoot under his age when he was 84, you know, he was still shooting under... He shot under his age when he was 73. Uh, and and I remember you rang me up here one day and I used to... You ring him up every uh, Wednesday afternoon. How'd you go today, mate? He said, oh... He said, I had a, I had a, I got a bit tired today. And I said, oh, yeah, what's... what's a, this is around Kalara. And he said, oh, listen to this start. He said, I made three up the first, par five, three down the next, par three, three up the next, par four, three up the next, par four... Four up the next, three down the next par four. I said, "Holy God!" I said, "He said, he said, oh, but I doubled the sixteenth and bogeyed the eighteenth." I said, "Oh, mate, what'd you shoot? Oh, sixty-nine. Yeah, right. You know, and that's when he was seventy-four or seventy-five. Yeah. So, you know, he he was an amazing golfer. I mean, he he said if he ever got over ten handicap, he'd never play. But it, but you know, he kept on playing right through until he passed away. Really. But back to that picture with Arnold Palmer. So did he and. Uh, Peter Thompson and Bruce Devlin. Did he talk much about his time with those people? So, like, were they part of your life when you yeah, were growing much, up? Very much. Very much. I'd come home from uh, from school, and they'd be there having. Uh, there was nothing to see. Peter Thompson and Kel Nagel, uh, the Kel Nagel there, and and uh, um, there'd be nothing for for Roger Davis to be there, and and Vaughan Summers, and all these golf icons. Uh, Graham Marsh um, that Dad used to teach. So I'd come home from school, get Uncle Cole to call Johnson, who won two PGAs, yeah. get Uncle Pete to Tomo and, you know, yeah. and all this. So it was a, a, my Uncle Kel to Kel Nagel. So it was, it was... And I didn't take any notice of it until I got... until I got to a situation where I started to realise how good they were. And I remember Dad played in the last two rounds with Jack Nicholas at the Australian... Uh, and I was only very, I was only about 10 or 12 years old, maybe even younger, and I said to Mum, I'm going to watch Uncle Kel play, I can't get, because I was so tiny, I, could, I said, I can't watch Dad play, they were four, four deep down all the fairways. So I go over to Uncle Kel, and Uncle Kel spots me. I'm just standing there under the rope, and he pulls me in under the rope, 
And the Australian Open pulled me in and said, you just follow my caddy there, put your hand on the bag, wherever he goes, you go. So off I went. Wow. Mum had about an hour later come looking for me, she, and, she's, and she's looking, and then there I am walking down the middle of the fairway with Uncle Kill, only on a Uncle Kill's bag. And, but I thought that was the norm. Yeah. You know, that was a stupid thing, and looking back at it, I regret I, I, I didn't really m- make a bigger bigger a thing of it because it was a, it was a wonderful a wonderful way to grow up. Yeah, but if the, you only know what you know... Yeah. And then you don't know, obviously, what you don't know. Yeah. Um, when you were playing, and then if you played against, you, you know, it's, or with a superstar, did you ever, I mean, they call it fanboying now, but did you ever just go, oh, my God, I'm playing with yeah. Roger Davis and then, and like, well, shit yourself a bit going? Well, I, I did, but, but Kel, you know, Kel and Pete used to get me to go and play um, practice rounds with them at different courses, and Peter Thompson. Yeah, Peter Thompson. Kellen Pete. Yeah, Kellen Pete. Tom Owen, Uncle 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 Kellen, Uncle Pete. <laughs> Uncle Pete used to say to me, they'd see me and say, "Come and have a practice round with me wherever we were." Uh, I I did get a little bit, you know, when I played with guys like Norman because he hit it so far. I mean, it was stupid how far he used to hit it. We used to call him. He did his traineeship at the same time as I did. And we, we used to call him bootlaces because we, re- we reckon he hit it that hard. He used to snap his bootlaces off in his shoes right. that he hit it. Oh, it was phenomenally long. But he and was, was, it, he was so straight. Was it, and was it exciting for you to play with him? Very much, very much. Of course, I knew him before he started winning and we were in awe of him then as a trainee. You know, he did it under a, under a guy called Bill McWilliam at... Um, at uh, Beverly Park. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, well, they still talk about him down at Beverly. Yeah, they yeah. claim him that he was... Yeah, I think he was only there for a year, though. Yeah, no, he was there for a year and a bit, and then he, uh, then he went back up to Charlie Earp up in RQ, Royal Queensland. But uh, um, been a wonderful life. I mean, you know, like I'm 63 years old now and, and I'm up here, you know, doing what I love doing at the vintage and, you know... I still do tours away uh, once or twice a year when the COVID's not on. Um, and, in fact, you did one with me. Yeah. Uh, we did the river cruise down well, let's, there. Let's, let's take a rest for a second. Yep. Um, and uh, I know you've got to go and announce yep. the winners. Uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about the vintage and the right course on. and a little review and, then, right uh, and what the secret to the game is. Right on. Okay. Looking forward to it. time when it was built, Norman Course, great excitement, you know, golf finally arrived at the Hunter. Did you come, finally arrived in the Hunter? Mm-hmm. Was that when you came up? I designed and built a course which is now called the Crown Plaza, which was back then we called it the Portofino, and I, Portofino Golf Club, and I... Uh, you designed it? I built it, owned it and designed it. Right, so that's when golf came to the Hunter. Yeah, that's when... And then Norman came to the Hunter. No, no, what no, a no, bastard. No, 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 Cypress Lakes came next. Yeah. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, Cypress Lakes, and because we, we were doing ours so slowly, Cypress Lakes overtook us and finished well before we did. We sort of pocketed our money and pooled our money and did a little bit. There was myself and a mate I went to school with. And uh, so we did a little bit at a time. And, uh, and then we went down the wrong road with the wrong person and then had to fire sell it. So I then came here 19 years ago. Um, the course was incredibly tough 
back then. The rough was up to your knees and a foot off the fairway and you wouldn't find the ball. And okay, let's hang on, let's go back to the Crown Plaza and yeah, the... Yeah, because sorry. it's not often you get to meet someone who, in the, who, in the classic story, owned the golf course, built the golf course yep. and then lost... Lost everything. On well, the golf. Lose no, everything. Yeah, no, but yeah. you know what I mean. Like they yeah. say, it's not. It's not the. It's not the person who makes it. No. It's not the person who buys it next. It's, it's the person the, who comes along yeah. third. Is yeah. that how it worked out? Yeah, it, it did. It worked out that way. But we thought that myself and he was a my, my best mate was a uh, who was best man at my wedding was a um, civil engineer, and uh, he said he rang me up one day and he said, "Listen, I found this block of land." He said, I found this block of land, and he said, I'm telling you, it's right in the perfect spot. He said, how about, have you got money? Can you get some money and we'll buy it? I said, yeah, okay, and we did, we bought it. He said, I want you to design the course. So I walked and walked and walked and walked, and we and I came up with the design that's on it now, no, before, the, before it was bought out, and they changed about four or five holes that I did. But um, So the first... The first is he the says same. The first. first is the same. Second was a beautiful par five that went all the way right back up to the greenkeeper shed. Right, so and that's a little par three now. Now it's a little par, short dog leg par four, then oh, par, four, par that's three. It, yeah. Well, the whole back was the green for the par three. So right. so that was a par four for us. So it went par, par, the short par four, then it went par, um, five. par five, and then par four back to the green, which is the third green now. Right. That that hard part, the par three over water, was the next hole after oh, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So now they've got two par threes in a row, but in in my when we designed it, it went par four, par five, par four, and then the one across the water. Uh, around on the back nine, you know, it took us a while to get out there because we we didn't have the finances to sort of jump in and do, finish it. So we just. Potted along, did a little bit of little bit of it here, a little bit, pooled our money, a fence around the outside because we said, let's do the fence first because everyone will say, what the hell's inside that fence? Yeah. And so uh, we started then, then we did one hole at a time and uh, we didn't have any any uh, hills or, or anything on the course. Yeah, it's still quite flat, isn't it's, it? Oh, yeah, but it was incredibly flat before. So what we did is we built dams everywhere and used the fill out of the dams to shape the fairways. That dam in front of that par three, you said that long, that hard par three across the water, would be about thirty feet deep. Wow. Yeah, even more. You know, and the and we the, the, they'd come in one end and come out the other, just with all the scrapes, these scrapers, and they'd just drop their bellies into the soil, drop it, pick the soil up, and come out the other side, and, and drop it all the way up the sides of the fairway where we shaped the fairways and the greens. And, okay. Yeah. So that's that's what I did. Is that your only course designing experience? No, I did one at Windsor tour for a private consortium uh, on a private course uh, on the Hawkesbury River, which will probably be underwater at the moment. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and I did Harrington Waters. It's a, a you've probably seen it advertised up up uh, north of Taree. Did a nine hole course there with two separate tees and and designed the greens, and I did that one as well. So, right. so how fulfilling is? course design. I mean, I can imagine as a golfer, you go, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> to, to actually do it would be... Well, it's very exciting. But, you know, I remember doing Harrington Waters and it was reclaimed land. And uh, the guy who was managing it up there got me on a, got me on a big 
uh, called a swampy, a big D9 dozer, and drove me out to the middle of the swamp and said, this is where the middle of the course is. I want you to design the course from here. So uh, they, they drained all the water out and put it back into the, into the rivers and, and, then I, and then I designed the course around that. So that was very fulfilling, very, very good. Yeah, geez, there were some snakes here. <laughs> Holy ghost. They were everywhere. <laughs> All right, so um, the vintage. So 19 years here. Yep. And, and this is, I, I'm sure it's fair to say this is the best course in the Hunter. Oh, no doubt. It's, uh, it's probably the best resort course in, in Australia now, I think. And that's not being biased, that's being honest. The, uh, the way the original owner, which is John Stevens, um, put, the, put the whole concept of how the housing should be, he didn't. He, he made sure that it just wasn't all house, the same house, same house package. Same. He made it. Every single house had to be has its own identity. And once we once we got the course back to playable, where we you know we we got the rough down a little bit, and we could find the balls, and the houses started to build. I think it's probably the one of the most successful because he was the original owner, and he sold it for a, for a good profit. And uh, so he didn't lose out and lose out like most, like I did and a lot of the others. But uh, he had a great, great concept and a great idea. And, and, and still the, 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 the amount of people who are coming to live on the course now, yeah. who are coming up from Sydney and who are building here, it's just they can't get enough land to build the, co- the houses on it. Uh, but the course is still brilliant. You know, it's got, it's got probably one of the best par threes you'll ever see in golf, which is the eighth hole. Um, off the back twos, it's 195 to the middle. And I remember the New South Wales Open was on here and um, w- there was a westerly blowing. And I can't, I don't know whether you remember it, but there was a dust storm came in from the, we- from the west. <laughs> and there's this red dust going all over the course and it was blowing a cyclone from, we- from, from the west. And uh, guys were standing on there. I remember Bob Shearer said... I'm not. Gonna, I'm going to play it as a par four, and she has stood up and played it with a six iron out to the left, and then a sand iron onto the green. And he made par par the first two days uh, just by playing it that way. But there was elevens and tens and yeah, everything so on the course. Just to describe the hole, so it's a long par three, as you say, 190 metres from the black. I think from the, yeah, from for, the black, for, it's, it's 160 for the from the gold. Yeah, uh, from the and middle. it's yeah, water around the right hand side, water, all, water all the way down, yeah. all the way down, and all the way down, and then the but the green sits. Um, it's like it, angled it, it, along yeah, the water. Along the water. And so, you know, you see water and you see bunkers on the left. So there's no, there's no bailout area unless you do what Bob Shearer did and, and play it like a par four. But uh, it's, it's probably, it's one of those holes that you, when you're playing in a competition, you're going walking off the seventh green saying, oh, here it is, <laughs> here it is. And, and I remember playing a... Golf hole, which is hard, probably harder than that in the world, and that was at Cypress Point over on the Monterey Peninsula. It's the 16th. They play it as a par four uh, in the members, and it's a par three in a tournament, uh, and and it's full carry across the across the um, Pacific Ocean to a like a semi island green out on a peninsula, and there's water over the back, water short. And I and I just come back from the British Open in '84, and I hit a three wood as good as I could, 
as good as I could and it only just made the front edge. So that's, it, was, it was really hard. That day, though, I must tell you the story, and, and it's a, it's, it's a, I go to the second hole and I've got this big... So what's the tournament? No, no, I'm just having a practice round. Oh, okay. After the British Open, I had a mate who was living in LA and he said, come over to LA, and I said, and I said well, I'm going to go and play Pebble Beach and a few of the others on the way, and then I'll come down. So I, I get this caddy, and of course I was a pro, they let me on. I didn't have to get permission, I just rang up, and they said, yeah, of course you can come and play. So I'm going over the second second. Uh, as a par five and there's houses on the right and I've drilled it up onto the top of the hill and my said to me, now look, you know, you go at it for two here and you can get yourself into real danger. Why don't just lay it up down there? And I said, look, you know, I'm here. I'm not playing a tournament. Give me my three wood and I'll give it a rip. So I knocked it about 20 foot for two. And I stood up I said, and I said, give me, if you think it was a fluke, give me it again and I'll do it again. So I did it to about 30 feet this time. And... This, I heard this. I heard this voice say, "Man, they're two of the best shots I've ever heard." And this guy walked out of the side of this house, and he had this sunny's big beard, floppy hat, you know, sandals, shorts, tall man. And I and I said, "Oh, thanks very much." He said, "I'm a member here." And I looked at him. I thought he was, you know, Jose from the from the you know from from the gardener. He said, "No, no, no." He said, oh, "I'm a member here. I can, can do you mind if I play with you at the back nine? He said, I'm a bit busy, but I'll try and get out. And I said, yeah, no problems at all. So I walk, walking off and the big caddy looked at me and he said, hey, do you know who that is? And I said, no. He said, he Clint Eastwood. <laughs> when I, I turned round and I wanted to run back and he'd already disappeared into the house. And I thought, oh, he'll come back and play, but he never came back oh. out. So I was that disappointed. That was a real disappointment that time because he was my hero. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. He, he dusted you. Yeah, he dusted me. He gave me the flick pass. <laughs> and, but uh, look, that course of all the courses I've played in the world, and I've played some serious amount of golf courses. I think that one there, it was my best I've ever played. Okay. It's got it's got a bit of Augusta. It's got a bit of New South Wales. It's got a bit of um, uh, Royal Canberra. It's got a bit of Lake Caranup. It's got a bit of everything. It's just a wonderful golf course. And you can't get on it. That's the worst thing. I can't even get back on it now because I'm not playing anymore. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. G'day, I'm Steve. Um, I'm an inherent natural slicer. Um, I've tried changing path to get a bit of a draw, but I really like um, 
a, a swing tip to develop uh, a long time draw. Their hands, swing path, feet, whole, the whole lot. What do you think? Hi, hi Steve. Look, the first thing you've got to do is check your grip. You've got to check your left hand grip and make sure you can see at least three knuckles on it. Now, if, if you can't see three knuckles on your left hand, you will never allow the right hand to close the club face up through the impact point. So the weaker the left hand, so if you look down on your left hand, you only can see one or maybe one and a half knuckles, that'll promote your left hand to pull through, which is going to make you cut across it and make you slice it. So the first thing I suggest is that you move your left hand over so at least the three knuckles. If you see four knuckles, it'll promote the right hand even more and make the, make the club face close up even more as you're hitting, which will create a hook. So does that push the right... If you push your, bring your left hand over, does that push your right hand under? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. But the, what you've got to understand is you've got to make the right hand be the dominator. And if the left hand is leading from the top, it'll always lead and pull across, which makes... It's like comparing a topspin in tennis to a slice for back, back slice, uh, slice backhand. backhand. You know, the fact is, is that if you move your left hand back and across it, it creates underspin. If you move your right hand and go from low to high with a topspin, it creates the topspin. So you're trying to, trying to hit a topspin in tennis. Now, so you've got to change your grip first. Make sure that, you, that your grip's nice and strong. You've got to make sure your shoulders are square onto the target. Make sure your shoulders aren't open. And if your shoulders are square on with your good grip, now you're a starter. You can change your swing plane. You can change what you, what's happening. But you can't change the swing plane if the source of your trouble is a bad grip or a bad setup. So do that. So once you've fixed your grip and you fix your setup, to make the right hand dominate a little bit more, get on the range and hit 20 balls with your right foot behind your left foot. Now, so look, one of the one of the American pros is doing that as, a, as his practice swing. Yes, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. But it's a great drill because what it does, if you put your right foot behind your left foot and point the left foot at the ball, what it does, it brings the swing plane in on the right mode, but it also creates the right hand action through the ball. And hand action is the secret because if you've got, and don't forget, your left hand is your steering wheel and your right hand is your accelerator. So if, oh so, so if your left hand is, is strong or weak, it's going to dictate what the right hand is doing through the impact point. So you've got to make the right hand work. So your left hand is your steering wheel yeah. and your right hand is the accelerator. Yeah, exactly. So your left hand, the weaker it is, going to make you slice because it's going to take the right hand away from it. And the stronger your left hand is, the more the right hand will kick in and the more right to left it will work. I'll guarantee if you change your grip and use that little drill, within 10 shots you'll be hooking it. But Ripley's believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, not if not, come up here and have a lesson. I'll so, get you right. <laughs> so um, it's, it's interesting because there's now this... Obviously, there's lots of different theories on how to play and how to coach and how to swing, and but it, but it feels like the new theory is to just bring just bring everything around. And I remember having a lesson, and he said, "Listen, the hands are no longer important in manipulating where the ball goes, right? So it's all it's everything's yeah. kind of rigid, and it's yeah, all through the shoulders, and, and it doesn't feel no. that doesn't sing true to it, it doesn't melt my heart because like I like using yeah. my hands. Well, don't forget, what's the only thing that connects you to the golf club? 
my hands. Ah, and if you don't feel your hands and you don't know what your hands are doing, how can you ever tell the club face what to do? And after all, you can be as as mechanically as orientated as you can with your body and moving that round. But if you don't know what your hands are doing, all that's going to do is promote a slice. Because if you're trying to take your hands out of it and then you're trying to turn your body and everything with it, all it's going to do is pull you across the ball. Mm. So, uh, you know, I think there's so, a fine line between okay. pleasure and pain. Yeah, 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 thanks. Good song by the Divinals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but you're an old school... I mean, you're an old... You know, you're an older guy. 63 years old, yes. feeling 83 yeah. at the moment. But yeah. So you're an older guy with an old school vision. Yeah. So how, uh, and, and I'm, I'm a believer in, in maintaining history yeah. and keeping sight of history and, and enjoying it. So how important is it to embrace the new ways as opposed to remembering, you know, the old ways? Well, my, my dad said to me, never stop learning. He said always if, if there's a... And I, I go to these uh, things that, you know, they, they have these new coaches come along and I sometimes pull a little bit out of it. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, it'd be silly if I didn't because some of it's good, mm. but some of it's, some of it's only used for retail therapy. You know, it's, it's getting the guy to buy this and buy that to help it work. Um, I'm, my dad always said to me, he said, if you get to the source of the problem, you can fix the problem. But it's no good trying to fix the problem if you don't know what's causing that problem. And I used to sit and watch him teach. I'd get, get off the train uh, at Kalara and walk, to the, walk and watch him teach before he drove me home. And uh, I'd see this lady or man walk down and I'd say, oh, I'm going to pick out what he goes <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I know what he's gonna say before he. And so, so, so he'll introduce himself and talk to the lady or the man and say, "What seems to be the problem? Oh, I'm getting this big slice." Blah blah blah. And he'll say, and he, and I used to watch him, and I, he said, "Well, hit a couple of shots for me before I say anything." So he, she, she or he hit, hit a couple of shots, and you could see the club moving across the line. And and I and I said, I know what he's going to say. He's going to she's she's or he's taking it outside the line. That's giving you the slice. And he said, Now, this is you are slicing for this reason, but that's not the source of the problem. He said the pro, the reason you're picking it up and taking it out is your setup's wrong. Shoulders are open, hands were low. That was creating you to go one way. He said, Now I want you to square your shoulders up and pick your hands up level with your level with your buckle of your belt and just swing it the same and all of a sudden the ball went the other way mm. and this guy was and, and I said to dad on the way home I said the same question I said I would have tried to fix that he said no if you tried to fix him taking it outside the line he'd be still taking it outside the line next this time next year he said if, if you find what's causing it to go out there then you can fix him so the source of the problem is more important. And he always said that your swing is only ever as good as your grip and your setup let it. So if your grip's okay and your setup's okay, you can make the swing work whichever way you want it to work, but you can't make the swing work without the first two right. Okay. Um, Does that is, make sense? It, it makes perfect sense. Okay. This is just a question. This is a... All right, this is my question. Yeah. Um, why, why is it that you'll have days where... The, the irons work and the woods don't. You have days when the woods Wood, work yeah, yeah. and the irons don't. Yeah. Or the putter will work but the chipper won't. Like, why, why, why are there so many days for amateur golfers that there's always, like, there's always a hole in the bag? Yeah. Well, it's the same for every, every level of golfer. 
Uh, some just looks a little, you know, some, sometimes the pros don't make it look as bad as what the, the, the amateurs make it. Um, but the word is, the word really is golf. It's, it's, it, it can really smash you to pieces. You know, I've, I've seen some people who've, and I've been one of them, who've gone out and played two rounds like Jack Nicklaus and the last two rounds like Nick Tackless. And that's, and that's what happens. I mean, it's, it's one of those sports, because the ball's not moving, you've got a lot of time to think about what can go wrong. Mm. And sometimes you can get out of the bed the wrong way. Sometimes you can you can just get up and you're just not quite right and you have an absolute dog of a day. Do you believe in luck? Like you, there are days you have good luck and shit luck and... Well, yeah, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes yes, but it's usually... Usually you make your own luck in this game. You know, um, you know Gary Player used to say all the time, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Mm. And I think there is, a, there is sometimes you can win a golf tournament, it's particularly a... Uh, a pro-am like I used to be the pro-am king and you can but get me in a four-round tournament where the oxygen wouldn't get down inside my body but uh, but uh, but um, one day you can get away with it two days you might get away with it but if you've got a floor in your swing over four, four days, days it'll come up and bite you yeah and and so is that luck maybe it is maybe it's not but um, you know people say golf's all in your head but I think you've got to have an idea of your technique first before you can get positives out of the way. You, you know, I could get Einstein out there on that practice fairway, and if he keeps cold doming it along the ground, or getting a Davy Crockett and shanking it out to the right all the time, or continually not getting the ball in the air, it doesn't matter how positive he is, he's not going to stand up and say, oh, I love this game. Yeah. Uh, so there is luck involved, but you know, I think you need to understand your technique first and then the mental side comes in last. Okay. Before the... Um, bef- so we'll finish on this and thanks for your time. Um, okay. Before you finish with the game, before any of us finish with the game, what's the one thing that we need to know? Like that we, we, must, we must know this... What is it for you? Well, I think not being a perfectionist. A perfectionist never, ever wins in this game. My father used to say there should be a bit, excuse the French, there should be a big sign, Richard, on every golf course you ever play. And you've got to walk under on the way out onto the fairway after you've hit off. And it should say, perfectionists piss off and let all us enthusiasts enjoy ourselves. Because he maintained that a perfectionist never enjoyed any shot. But he whinged and whined and, 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 and so I think if you, if, you, if you accept your bad shots and you can make sure that you give yourself a pat on the back when you hit a good one. And, and I remember giving a lesson here to the, the I, I taught the Hong Kong Open champion, Sam Brazel. And uh, he rang me up a couple of weeks before the Hong Kong Open and he said, listen, can you, can you have a look at me? I'm getting this pull. Uh, with mines, and I said, "Yeah." So he flew down from Lismore, and I went and picked him up, and we got on the range, and he warmed up with a few, and then hit an eight iron straight at the at the red flag, and it actually rattled the flag. His next one, a foot away from the flag, and he, next ten or fifteen shots, I could have thrown a blanket over the lot of them, and then he pulled one of them, and he said, "There it is, <laughs> there it is." What did I do? And I said, "I'm not telling you." <laughs> And he said, why? And I said, because you didn't ask me what you did right on the first 15. You've hit one left and now you want to know what you... I said, I'm going to tell you 
what you did wrong. But you've got to ask me what you did when you hit a good one. You've got to ask yourself what you did right when you hit a good shot, rather than criticise every time you hit a bad one. And you see Joe Average out here. They hit a bad shot. They're playing with three 25 markers. And they say, what did I do wrong there? And they look at it. You lifted your head. <laughs> oh, I want to I just neck myself when I hear that. Oh, it sends me mad. It's, it's interesting. I think about the perfectionist golfers that... Um, at our club and, and that I've played with over the years, and they're never happy. Never. And, and I've seen some golf pros who could have been and should have been champions. I mean, should have been. I could, I could, I could go over and over and over with probably another two dozen off my head quickly. And they didn't become as good as they could have been because they were never happy on the golf course. They'd criticise because it, it lipped out for a hole-in-one. See, that's my luck. Oh, look at that. Yeah, it's the fact that it's an inch away and he taps it in for a... didn't matter. Look at... Uh, and so I think, you know, you've got to learn if you... You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of life in golf. You can play golf till your 80s, till your 90s. I gave a, a three-day golf school to a guy who was 93 and drove up from Melbourne... In, on his own, in his car, 93, all the way from Melbourne to here to have a three-day golf school with me. Now, you know, it was, wasn't easy to teach, but he loved it because we, 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 we made him feel positive, we made him feel good, and when he walked away, he, he believed that he, that he learned something. And I think that's, you know, you've got to always open the avenues, and you asked me earlier about the modern day teaching and the olden day teaching, and I think you've got to open the open your your mind up and not be too, you know, just because they're not something's not working. Let's try something different, and uh, and I think that the, the game of golf is going to go on forever. It's just a wonderful game that that breeds humility. It breeds. You know, the, probably some of the most beautifully tempered golfers I've ever seen. Like um, uh, Kel Nagel was just incredible. You know, nothing is to worry me. And, and, you know, you look at all those guys and, and I've asked them all these questions over the years about, you know, what, you know, what made you great and what made you... All of them, all of them have said that the, the, it was the ability to be able to turn off when things were going bad. And so, so if, if, if I teach one thing for the rest of my life and, I, and, it, and it gets through to any of my pupils, be a lover of the game. Love it for what it is. And the fact that you're having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month, go to your pro, have some lessons and then, and then try and get yourself right. But the more you become a mechanic at this game and the more you become totally wrapped up in theory, sometimes it stops the club hitting the ball. You know, so... Go back to go back to basics a bit. Get your check your grip, especially Steve earlier. He asked that question, and you know, go back to basics. Get your grip right. Get your setup right, and and then start working on your swing rather than trying to work on your swing and not get your basics right. And love the game. Love it forever. I mean, I still love it. I get as much enjoyment out of teaching and playing now, even though I'm off a six point five handicap. Are you? Yeah, but but only because you know I just never play. I'm always teaching. Yeah, you, know, you, you don't need to make excuses. No, I know. <laughs> oh, can't I? <laughs> of course I can. Uh, but but I still love it. I still go out there and I love playing with the members and I love I love getting out there, even if it is only you know once or twice every every month. Um, probably once or twice every six months I get out to play. But um, it's, it's one of those games that, that, that if you can learn to love it 
and not to hate it, you'll play it forever. Richard Mercer, you're the pro at the Vintage in the Hunter Valley. You've been here 19 years. Fantastic to talk to you. Great advice. We'll talk again yep. because there's a whole world of travel that we haven't even touched yeah, on. Yeah, we haven't but touched on that. That'll do for this time. Okay, thanks, Andrew. Great to see you again. You too. Thanks, Richard. Okay. Well, that's it. That is golf. And I hope you enjoyed it. How good is Richard Mercer? What a lovely bloke and a lovely insight into the game. And a good tip there for Steve. If you've got a question, send it to me at Andrew Datto, um, which is on Instagram, or you can go to my website, andrewdatto.com. If you've got a question, I'll pass it on to our next professional and we'll work it that way. So thanks for your company. As I say, if you enjoyed the show, give us a rating. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you next week with something entirely different. But it will be golf. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.